Diabotar. Welcome to another short news flash podcast from PortugueseSoccer.com. My name is John Neves, your host, recording this episode on Friday. And I hope you are all doing well and safe and sound. I got a lot to talk about. Going to open up a cold one here of Superbach. That is the choice for this week. And got a lot to say about uh, what was a very interesting week. We had a very interesting Friday night with the Segunda Liga. And, of course, we've got some important European matches next week. But to start off, we'll start off first with the schedule. As we know, this is the final weekend for the Liga Portugal. Yes, Liga Portugal. Don't call it Liga Nós. Uh, this is the final weekend of preparations for all the teams. Everything pretty much gets going next week. And uh, basically, as far as upcoming matches, Porto is playing a closed-door scrimmage against Nacional on Saturday. Sunday nights, uh, Sporting and Alvalade will be playing Napoli in their annual 5-5 violin match, which is a very famous match, um, you know, preseason match. And they tend to play an Italian team, so they'll be doing that on Sunday night in Alvalade. And then things kind of get going for real. Um, Tuesday, of course, as I've talked about in past podcasts, uh, Benfica will be traveling. Um, will be out in Greece. They'll be taking on Park. And, of course, as I've said before, a lot of money riding in this match. One match, the winner advances to the playoffs for the two legs against Krasnodar of Russia. And, of course, uh, I've heard from various places where a lot of people think Benfica go into this favorites. And I would agree with that. But when you're talking about playing in another person's stadium, um, you're talking about uh, playing in the Greek League, which... Historically speaking, although we've had some success in Greece, it hasn't always been pretty. And, of course, we're all still going to be playing a team that has a Portuguese manager. And I was looking up uh, Abel's all-time history. Of course, Abel, before he went to Pac, was the manager at Braga. He was involved with, uh, if I recall correctly, the Braga B team. And he was also at one point involved with the Sporting B team. If I recall correctly, uh, Bruno de Carvalho uh, let him go, and then he wound up in Minu. And um, basically, when you look at Abil all-time versus Benfica, it, it's really not very good. Uh, maybe that's what people are thinking about. A lot of people used to say when Abil managed Braga that they always used to bow down to Benfica. But um, first time he played them as a manager for Braga, he lost 3-1. to one. Second time he played them, it was really his best result. It was a League Cup match, Tasa de Liga. This was in 2017. They drew 1-1. Then they played in the Liga match in 2018. Benfica won 3-1 in Braga. Benfica then beat up. This was, of course, that match a few years ago, a few days before Christmas in 2018. Benfica beat up pretty badly. Braga 6-2. And then later on that season, Braga at home lost badly against Benfica 4-1. to So essentially in the last two matches against Benfica, Abel has basically outscored and been outscored 10-3. Uh, to um, So one would say that on paper, Benfica probably goes into this match with the advantage. But again, they're playing away. It's one match. Something could go wrong. And, you know, even though, of course, you've got JJ, which is supposed to solve all the team problems, they invested over 80 million euros in various players. Um, There's always that very dangerous factor. But like always, rooting for Benfica to go through. You want to see Portuguese teams play. 
You want to see as many Portuguese teams as possible playing in the Champions League right now. We only have one. Uh, Pinto de Costa a few weeks ago being admitted, you know, the more teams that are playing in Europe, the better it is for Portugal. So much so that, you know, everybody agreed to move the Super Cup and Fica Porto to December right before Christmas. So big match on Tuesday and, of course, looking forward to seeing it. And also lost in everything. And let's not forget Rio Ave will also be playing their second preliminary round of Europa qualifiers. They'll be going to Bosnia, Herzegovina to play Borac. And the winner of that will the following week go to Istanbul to play Vesiktas. So things don't get very easy for uh, Riwa. They, of course, have a new manager. They did manage to get several good players, but there's still a lot of work to be done. And I would say it's an uphill battle for Riwa. But again, like Benfica, you are certainly rooting for them uh, to go through. So that's the story for next week. The three standout matches. Sunday, the sporting five-violin match against Napoli, their traditional match. And then, of course, we have uh, Champions League on Tuesday with Benfica at Pac. Riwav on Thursday playing at Borek and Bosnia-Herzegovina. Of course, there are other preseason matches, as I mentioned, like Porto Nacional on Saturday. And again, this is the last weekend of really uh, to get teams ready. It pretty much all gets started next Friday. So again, enjoy a pretty quiet weekend because after that, we're going to be loaded uh, pretty much with football, soccer, whatever you use in your part of the world. Now, there is something that is starting to worry people in Portugal. And that is, of course, during this past week, the COVID-19 positive cases have increased, um, as we know, for a very long time. It's one of the reasons why Portugal was able to get the Champions League, the final eight was the fact that Portugal as a whole was in great shape, particularly the islands. But this week, the numbers are unfortunately starting to rise, so much so that England, after three weeks, put Portugal back on the quarantine list. And that's domestic Portugal. The islands of the Azores and Madeira, they are not affected. Uh, anybody from England can easily travel to the islands and back and not have to worry if you quarantine. But in Portugal... If you're in the Algarve, if you're in Lisboa, if you're in Porto, Braga, wherever it may be, um, unfortunately, you have to quarantine if you go back. So a lot of people canceled their plans early, leaving hotels early, and that is not good for Portugal. But tonight, Friday, um, worrisome in the second division. Of course, the second division did start this weekend. Uh, We had a match last night with Estoril beat Arroca one to nothing. And, of course, that was a, a very important match. We had our first female uh, women's referee. Uh, she worked the line as a line judge, and that was a very historical night. Uh, but, unfortunately, since then, things have not been very well. Uh, the um, In Satamidia, the Feda tonight, the Feda-Shavs game, of course, a uh, match uh, a year or two ago was a first division match. Uh, there was uh, two players and two assistants with Shavs that have basically tested positive. And apparently there was some confusion. Uh, There's supposed to be a system in place where you find out if people are positive ahead of time. And I'm not really entirely sure the whole story, waiting to read on it a little bit more. It might be coming out in the papers tomorrow. But there was confusion where a decision was only made about like an hour before the match. And as a result, uh, the Liga president, who, by the way, also postponed the match on uh, Saturday morning, Academico uh, de Viseu uh, was playing Academica, and apparently there were several players positive 
with the club from Viseu, and that one has also been uh, postponed. But the Liga president, Pedro Puranza, has uh, called a virtual meeting of all the first and second division clubs, or we call the professional clubs. Uh, he's asked that their medical staff or head of their medical staff also be a part of this meeting tomorrow, Saturday. And they basically want to go over the protocols again. They want to make sure everybody's on the same page, wants to make sure everybody understands what's the what they need to do, what are the responsibilities, what they got to remind their players to do. You know, you know, in terms of going home after a practice, a training, going home after a match, um, players have to, of course, as you know, stay with their families and avoid uh, contact with the public is how a lot of people are doing it because the the cases are climbing in Portugal, unfortunately. So the chances of you catching COVID are higher, and as a result, uh, the Liga boss uh, decided to call a uh, meeting. If you remember back in March, when they suspended the league. And then they brought the league back later. They didn't bring back the second division. And the concern they had with the second division was not only that perhaps the testing would be too expensive for a lot of these clubs, but they were concerned that perhaps maybe the infrastructure, the system you need to follow the protocols wouldn't be in place. And you wonder now, because a lot of people were upset. They didn't understand why was it just the first division. Now you have to wonder if there is some understanding to that, some truth to that, because... Unfortunately, two of the first three second division matches have been postponed. As of this podcast Friday, that seems to be it. You hope the rest of the weekend goes off without an issue. Obviously, the matches that were postponed can easily be replayed at another time. But that's a bit of a concern because if the con- issues continue to rise and more teams get this, you know, get more players get COVID, you start to get a little bit nervous about the Liga Portugal season because that starts. You know, later this week. Um, so some very scary times. You know, we managed to finish the season without any major issues. There were some players that were positive, but this is a situation that bears watching. And of course, the Portuguese government has already taken some steps, uh, asking things to close a little bit early. Um, you know, basically, especially now with school starting, uh, put together some contingency plans so that people understand and that they have everything in place to try to make sure that this does not get out of control. Europe as a whole, unfortunately, is having issues. England, I, I saw the other day, you can't have more groups, no, uh, can't have a group of more than six people, and that certainly ruins a lot of the holidays. And, you know, every country has their own different regulations with their health department. And, um, you know, Portugal has their, England has theirs. And, of course, we're seeing some spiking cases in England and as well as in France and Europe right now, based on what you see in the news, seems to be spiking, whereas North America, you know, by the way, respect to the Canadians, man, they seem to have it really under control, although I know there was a bit of a concern in Quebec uh, the other day or earlier this week, but the United States, of course, was having major issues, but that has really come down. Um, I think they peaked at like 70,000 in a day. Now I think it's in like the 30s, so that's come a long way, but hopefully, no matter where it is, you hope these cases come down so that everybody could see sports and hopefully we could all get on with our lives. But getting back again to Benfica, a big match on a Tuesday. After the match against Pac, win or lose, by the way, Benfica is going to fly back to Portugal, but they're not going straight to Lisbon. They're going to go straight uh, to Porto because they're going to be playing Familia Cone later this week in the Liga Portugal opener on uh, Friday. So they're basically going straight 
through Porto from Greece. Interesting that um, the guy who set this up or made Benfica think about, you know, not coming back after a European match, coming back maybe the next morning so the players don't get tired, planning things out with the hotels, you know, the extreme detail. That was, I remember Rui Vitoria did a lot of that, and it seems to have uh, continued now uh, with regard to, uh, you know, Benfica thinking this way, that after the match, uh, you know, going straight to Porto and not doing another trip during the week, keeping them up north. I'm not sure where they're training Obviously, uh, George Jesus has plenty of contacts up there, so they'll get a place to privately train. Um, but we'll see how that goes. And by the way, Familia Kong as a town, beautiful town, by the way, some really nice restaurants. Um, it's also known as a hotbed for a lot of Benfica fans. Every, every, you know, Whenever Benfica wins a title, RTP will always go to different parts of the country, and that's one of the areas they go to. Apparently in that part, that region, there's a lot of Benfica fans per capita you know, again, that's, uh, you know, something that I had uh, read. And by the way, another thing I read about this week, it was in the Correio de Minier. For whatever you think it's worth, it is uh, Louis Zong, of course, is now part of the team staff. And I read a very interesting thing that I'm surprised more teams don't do. But apparently, if this is to be true, um, if you are a Benfica player, you walk into Seychelles, you don't use your phone again until you come out. They don't want the players using it when they work out. They don't want them using it when they work out in the gym. They want total focus on the objectives, which is, of course, the Liga Portugal and trying to qualify for the Champions League. So I kind of read that this week, and I found that you know, to be pretty interesting. That's actually a very common thing with a lot of professional teams that I know of in North America, um, but I didn't realize that in Portugal that maybe they didn't do that. Uh, Porto? Um, Boy, uh, what a week. Uh, Fabio Silva, uh, Vitor Ferreira also goes um, to Wolves. Uh, both of these players, by the way, making it to England in time without having to worry about quarantine. Um, but Porto, um, <clears throat> the, the transfer, though, of Fabio Silva uh, to Wolves didn't necessarily go uh, very easy um, for a lot of people that don't know. It was recorded as a $40 million transfer, but apparently about $10 million of that um, went to intermediaries. About 7.5 went to George Men's Gestufoot, and the other 2.5 went to STV. And um, Sports Witness had a, an article. Um, they got a lot of the information from the Record. I know Record is sporting. Porto is Ojogo. But they had a pretty good story. And um, they basically, according to that story, Apparently, the reason why Porto paid that much was because those same individuals were involved previously, meaning Gestafoot and STV were involved previously in the new contract that um, Fabio Silva got when he turned 18. So it was kind of like um, they were paying him, him as well for that. Something to that effect. But Record, in the Sports Witness article, did interview the three candidates that ran for Porto president. Of course, we all knew they were going to lose, but they're trying to set themselves up for the future. Two or three of them were disappointed. Um, they feel like it's agents taking care of a club that's struggling financially. The third one said, look, um, you know, you got to play the game and this is the way you play the game. And we don't have all the information, but this is the way you play the game. So um, that was very interesting that uh, that was uh, pretty much uh, discussed. Uh, but that created a lot of attention in Portugal. Um, the witness article said that El Jogo didn't really talk too much about that. But I know across the uh, TV stations, um, as well as Zé Freitas, um, who was on SIC. Um, of course, as you know, in Portugal, there's a big show 
where uh, people, you know, talk about the transfers, rumors, and all that. And a lot of them were very surprised by this deal because essentially 25% went to intermediaries, which is a bit surprising. And you think about it, they only really got $30 million for Fabio Silva, which doesn't sound like a whole lot for one of the jewels of Porto. On the other hand, you got to play the game. And at the end of the day, if they are the ones that made this happen, in other words, would Porto have been able to get uh, Wolves been able to get them on their own? Maybe not. Maybe they needed the agents to get involved. Sometimes agents open the doors for you. So Porto was transparent releasing this information. Sometimes this information gets basically included in annual reports, quarterly reports, and you got to really dig into it to see the details. But Porto came out probably realizing that it was going to capture some attention. And I think they were being a little bit proactive. But again, you got to play the game. And if that's how people help you get players and they're in the position to do that, it's like some people say that on the opposite side of this argument, you got to play the game. And if that's what it costs, you know, that's the cost of uh, doing business. Agents in Portugal are a big part of, uh, you know, of the business. Um, and one other report that came out this week, again, this came out in, um, you know, the Correio de Minha, TV, TBI 24, Seek Noticias, their transfer shows. Um, one of them was reporting that Porto was in talks with Herrera. Uh, apparently he has not done as well as they would have liked. And there's a discussion. Again, in these shows, they're, they're about rumors. They're about transfers. So take it with, you know, whatever you believe that to be. But apparently, supposedly, Herrera is in discussions, and of course, he's still very fond of Porto. Uh, when they had that dinner with all the players, and you know, Casillas was there. He came back to Portugal to participate in that dinner party. So obviously, Herrera still has strong ties. I mean, Porto launched them into Europe, gave him an opportunity to play for Atlético Madrid. Um, but now, are we going to see a player that's left Portugal and gone on to bigger things? Will we see him come back to try to resurrect his career? And that was a very interesting rumor this week. Tony Martinez is another one. The Spaniard is supposed to be joining Porto again. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Seems the press always reported. The latest report as a Friday. Okay. And who knows? Maybe every time I talk about a transfer and it happens the next day, maybe that's what we need to do to get things done. Um, basically, uh, Tony, um, the situation is they're trying to work out the payment details the dates of payments, the installments, so to speak. And then tonight there was a uh, report in Mash Football that they thought that they're just trying to work out the uh, bank guarantees. The report of him going to uh, Porto is for $3 million. Um, that's what I heard. And, of course, Familia Gong sticking to their guns. They've got a CEO, by the way. It's a rising star in the business. At one point, I think he was even linked with Porto. But apparently they've got a guy that really knows his stuff, and they're trying to, of course, get – uh, what they can out of it. So, uh, you know, Familiar Kong trying to represent as well their best interests. So Porto, uh, very interesting week uh, with several players going to Wolves, several, you know, interesting news such as Herrera and Tony Martinez. The other big news with Porto this week, um, and that's, of course, a uh, former player again coming back. He's on his way out at Manchester City, and that's Otamendi. Um, one of the things that attracts him to Porto, and a big reason, I believe, why Porto has managed to get some of the players they have is because of the straight open door to the Champions League. Do not, do not underestimate, uh, especially for a player who hasn't played in European competition or who wishes to continue to play in European competition. But apparently that was one of the things that interested. And now we'll see, he makes all, you know, we'll see it again. We'll see if that happens. But Otamendi makes a lot of money 
You know, it's not normal for, excuse me, it's normal for guys to leave Portugal and get huge deals elsewhere, especially if they wind up being successful. So that has to be worked out. And usually that's been worked out. Pep, when he came back from, you know, Real Madrid and, you know, he worked it out. He took a lesser of a salary. And I believe Casillas also took a lesser of a salary. So Porto does have sometimes the loyalty of players to get them to come back at a lesser price. And uh, we'll see if, in fact, um, that does happen. Uh, sporting. Um, having a very good preseason with the results. They had a number of their younger players like Goresima and Nuno Menge make the what they call the wall honor in the Alcachet in the academy of players that have come through the academy and are now uh, close to, if not already, in the first uh, squad, the senior squad. But uh, the big news, of course, this week with Sporting, and of course it includes their new, brand new, uh, you know, can I call it enemy or rival? And that's, of course, Braga, as you know. Uh, Braga gave Sporting a deadline. They wanted their money of about $12 million for Ruben Amorim, who Sporting bought. Uh, apparently Sporting had only paid something like $2.5 million back in April, something to that effect, if reports are to be believed. But apparently... Um, the, the, the deadline passed, there was discussions and they've kind of worked it out. Um, I think I mentioned in the last podcast that I, at least I don't remember. I, I, it, it takes a lot for a Portuguese team to tell on another Portuguese team by going to FIFA UEFA. I usually see that a lot with a lot of South American teams when they have issues with European teams. Um, but I, I mentioned, and, and I'm not surprised. I, I don't think, you know, maybe it's an unwritten rule among the clubs that, you know, we all share in the same problem. So why are you going to make this an issue? To me, if Braga had such an issue with this, it's very simple. It's very simple to solve the problem, especially moving forward. Ask for the money up front, 100%, or ask for 50% of it. Um, I, I think that's that's the solution. I mean, if he walks away, and he's already managing against you in February, um, you know, when he had first joined Sporting and you didn't manage to get the 12 million then, then, well, you know, what are you going to do? Um, you know, maybe you should have asked for a lot of the money up front. But uh, it's been resolved in the sense that uh, apparently there's been discussions between the two presidents and they have spoken. And um, I think uh, they've worked out the money. And, of course, it'll be interesting to see then in the next few weeks. If this better relations continues, will we see players like Orta and Paulinho? Um, and I've mentioned, I think at one point, Franz Sergio have been linked as well with interest from sporting. And be curious to see if Braga is willing to have those talks to sell those players. And again, if they are, well, maybe you need to ask for the money up front. Um, but again, everybody's having a tough time in Portugal financially. So maybe there's an understanding there and somehow they, uh, you know, they work things out, but sporting has been doing uh, pretty good. Pedro Gonçalves the other day, um, with the goal and, um, you know, sporting, um, I mentioned it in a podcast a long time ago, you know, if they, if the players they've brought in and the players, the young players, they bring up shine. If these players, the young players are want to play for the biggest clubs in Europe, they got a wonderful opportunity to do it at Sporting. You know, a lot of the young players at Benfica, you know, a year ago, Benfica had a policy of Seychelles and good players. This year, it seems to be going in the direction of, of good players. And a lot of the young players in uh, Benfica are not getting a chance. Cross town and Sporting, you're getting a lot of chances. And if those young players can take advantage of that and can basically 
play and put themselves in a position to see clubs maybe talk about triggering their buyout, you know, Sporting has a chance this year. You know, they have a chance. I mean, look, Sporting has had a lot of problems. They've had a lot of managers, but they've also had a lot of good players. Remember the Euro, uh, the European Championship team? How many of those players came from, you know, the Academy of Sporting? Sporting does not have a lack of talent. They just have a lack of results. And it would be very curious to see if they are able to finally put it together. But I'll tell you what, based on what we've seen so far and the way Ruben Amorim is talking, the way he conducts himself with the press, you have to be, and I've said this in the past and I'll say this again, if you are a sporting fan, I know you, many people don't like Verandas. I know they don't like the politics of the club. They don't like the issues over the money. We understand all that stuff. But I think overall, there is something going on with the club. They got good young players coming up. They brought in some players from other clubs that haven't necessarily broke the bank. And once they work out this situation with Braga, you know, sporting's going to be in a better place. So be curious to see if that, in fact, does happen. But right now, if you're a young player at sporting, this is your opportunity. You got to grab it because chances are, if you were playing cross town at Benfica, it wasn't going to happen. And you look at Porto, they're also, of course, uh, using a lot of their younger players. And they may have to, you know, in the, in the future. Um, but uh, sporting, again, is on solid footing. Um, congratulations to Cristiano Ronaldo, um, everybody's favorite cousin. Although I know some Portuguese that are not really fond of him, but congratulations uh, on uh, scoring his 100th and 100th uh, career goal for Portugal. Um, I will speak for myself, but I think I speak for a lot of people. Every time the guy breaks a record, every time the guy has success, whether it be for club or country, it's something that makes a lot of Portuguese people proud. He has been a shining be beacon for Portugal. Um, and, you know, right now in terms of official matches, he's actually the all-time national team goal scorer with 82 goals, by the way. But when you count the friendlies and you count the official matches, he is behind um, another player. The other player has 100, 108 goals. Uh, Dali, I believe, is his name. I apologize if I got that wrong. Uh, but Cristiano uh, stands a good chance to get that record. Um, if he by some chance goes on a drought, it'd be a heck of a way to do it at next summer's European Championship because um, that would be pretty nice. But something tells me he may do it uh, before then. I, I think the way things are going, he might, we're going to see him scoring uh, you know, a few more goals before this is all over. And by the way, I have to tell you, the other night I was uh, channel surfing on my TV and uh, a few years ago, uh, filmmaker Anthony Wonky did a movie, um, you know, call it a movie, a documentary about called Ronaldo. And um, don't ask me why, despite much fact that I live and breathe over 20 years of covering Portuguese football, uh, Portuguese soccer, I had a chance to finally watch it, the total movie, um, a while ago. And I got to tell you, if you've not watched it yet, I, I encourage you to watch it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so much incredible behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, whenever I hear his mother talk, how much she cares for him, how much she worries about him, worries uh, kind of reminds me of a lot of Portuguese mothers and uh, a lot of the Portuguese, and they talk a lot of Portuguese in this, which is great because if you speak Portuguese, you'll understand the movie even better. But um, he is without a doubt, not just a great player, but I think you find him to be the way he takes care of his kid. And, you know, his kid is always with them. And um, it, it was, it was pretty enjoyable. And of course you also have to envy his lifestyle, but when you make that much money, um, and you can travel, and he probably doesn't have any choice. He does have to travel travel on private planes. You kind of envy his life. But look, 
the guy deserves it. But if you ever get a chance and you got a, a two hours, you want to open up a cold, want to pop open a cold drink and, you know, got two hours to kill. Um, I enjoyed the Ronaldo movie if you haven't watched it yet. Um, and I believe it chronics 2014 because they also had the World Cup in Brazil that year. Um, and they traveled with the team. And there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff as well with that. So I think you would enjoy that. And I know I did. Folks, uh, been another great podcast. I love talking Portuguese football, Portuguese soccer. Again, please stay safe with your friends. Let's keep our hopes that the numbers that have been increasing in Portugal start to go in the other direction. Let's hope that Portugal puts on a good defense. And hopefully in your part of the world as well, hopefully you are all doing safe and sound. And please watch after your family, especially your older ones. Check it, check up on them. And at the end of the day, let's all stay safe. Next week, Liga Portugal is back. And I'll be talking about that. And I may even do a podcast during the week. We'll see. Really looking forward to the Benfica match on Tuesday. Big time European football is back in terms of the club level, that is. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. Ciao, everybody. Mm -hmm.